The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus and his disciples left from there and began a journey through Galilee, but he did not wish anyone to know about it. He was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is to be handed over to men, and they will kill him. And three days after his death, the Son of Man will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to question him. They came to Capernaum, and once inside the house, he began to ask them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they remained silent, for they had been discussing among themselves on the way who was the greatest. And then he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone wishes to be first, he shall be the last of all and the servant of all. Taking a child, he placed it in their midst. And putting his arms around it, he said to them, Whoever receives one child such as this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. In your hearts, say goodbye to the Alleluia we just sang at the beginning of our gospel proclamation. Because you're not going to hear it again for six weeks, a little more than six weeks, actually. One of the hallmarks of Lent is that we do not use that word, Alleluia. And we will not use that word again until we sing it as the cry of Easter victory at the end of this holy season. And in no small measure, today is that day where one last time we fill our throats and our voices with that word. And we sing it and we feel the note of its joy and savoring that joy, we lay it aside. What an interesting movement that is. The first fasting of Lent is not the fasting from food that we do. It's a fasting of the voice. It's a fasting of a certain tone to our prayer. And why would we do that? Because the fasting, the penitence, the discipline of Lent is at the service of our picking up that word again and singing it, saying it, praying it from a deeper purer part of ourselves. Note how marvelous that is. It's one of the underappreciated elements of the Lenten season. In fact, in religious communities such as my own, the long-standing custom was that on this day, we buried the Alleluia, which didn't mean that we all went out to the backyard with shovels and put it in the backyard. It, it meant in religious houses at our prayer, any song that had lots of hallelujahs, oh, we sang. And we literally drove the hallelujah into the ground. That 
overwhelming repetition of the word that we will not hear again for so many weeks, to remind us of how little we appreciate it, to remind us of how little we let it carry our hearts forward with a true and lasting joyfulness, so that over the season, we are ready for that joy once again. Our readings today are well chosen in a certain sense and not deliberately chosen because the date of Ash Wednesday varies from year to year. But they could not have been more perfectly chosen to fall today as we stand on the doorstep of Lent. Our first reading from the book of Sirach makes an important and often neglected observation that anyone who would truly serve God should prepare himself for hardship and struggle. We usually don't lead with that, do we? And if you're going to follow Jesus, follow Jesus and let him lead you to life. The coda to that is, it's over a particular road which isn't easy to walk. And so that anyone who would really serve the Lord must recognize from the beginning that that is a difficult movement, and one doesn't enter into it lightly because when one does, one gets overwhelmed. One gets surprised by the difficulty and often finds himself or herself easily defeated by it. And so the reading continues with that important observation that it's in fire that silver and gold are purified that what is impure is burned out of it by means of a hot fire. And so it is with the human spirit. There's a certain fire which must enter into the heart to purify it. The fire of penance, the fire of self-denial, the fire of hardship, the fire of discipline. And note what the reading says, just as fire purifies silver and gold, it is humiliation. Now that's not a word we like to use. It is humiliation that reveals the goodness of the heart of a man. In the crucible of humiliation, men and women are tested. While we'd like another crucible, note what Scripture says before us. And that doesn't mean it's simply that we look to be treated badly. But the, the idea of humiliation, the making of ourselves less, runs directly counter to the sinful spirit of the world, which seeks to assert itself over others, which feels I will be fulfilled only when I am successful beyond my brother and sister only when I have a status that rises above the others. But the paradox of the gospel is I rise above when I place myself below. That is the spirit of Jesus, the movement of his life, who steps out of the glory of heaven into our weakness. And we all too easily forget that when the word became flesh, that wasn't a promotion. 
when the Lord took on our humanity, it's not that he's adding glory to himself in any obvious way. He's stepping into our fragility, our foolishness, our limits, and yet he does so. And it is out of that movement into our fragility that he rises gloriously in triumph. And this is the movement in our gospel reading today that Jesus is now trying to instill in the hearts of his disciples. Note how carefully St. Mark expresses this. They left from there, where they were shortly after the transfiguration and a miracle that Jesus had just worked. And now they are moving across Galilee, and then he says, and Jesus did not want anyone to know. All of our readings from the Gospel of St. Mark, when we get back to ordinary time on the other side of Easter, so that's going to be sometime in June. So I'm going to give you a preview. When, in the summer, when we come back to this, everything that we're going to be hearing is in this context of Jesus not wanting anybody to know where he is. Scholars refer to this in St. Mark's Gospel as the messianic secret. After so much public preaching, there's now a turn where he dedicates himself to the private formation, the direct formation of his disciples. That's what Lent is. That's what Lent is. Lent in no small measure is that six-week retreat that the body of Christ makes with the Lord Jesus. However publicly visible some of our practices will be, the point over these six weeks is not what Jesus says to the world. It's what he says to you and what he says to us all together. And so here we have, on the day before Lent, a gospel reading now that speaks of Jesus moving into a period of extended teaching that isn't for the general public, but is for those who eventually will make his word public his disciples. And he begins with the word of the cross, that word which is so difficult for our hearts to receive and master. And so note, why does Jesus now call the church aside? Because this word is so vitally important. And just last week we saw in our readings how difficult it was even for those closest to him to receive it, that what he wants to do now is focus on this, because that's where they're going. And so note, the Son of Man will be handed over to men, and men will kill him. And then he will rise three days later. Know what Jesus is saying. We're going someplace. I'm going to the cross. And from the cross, I will rise from the dead. We're going through Lent, to Holy Week. And at the end of Holy Week, there is Easter. Note how marvelous this is. And the Lord is saying, everything I'm doing right now is about getting you ready for what's going to happen. Because it's not going to be an accident. 
It's not going to be that circumstances overwhelm us. That's where we're going. And I don't want you simply following along without knowing that. And so note, the Lord wants his disciple to have some sense of where we're going. The Lord wants his disciples to be able to move with him in a way that their hearts can grow to deeper understanding. But they don't understand right away, and what do we hear? And they don't say anything because they're afraid to ask him. We don't know what they're afraid of, but it may well be that they're afraid that he's serious. We're really going there. And you're really coming with me, if you're really with me. But we don't know. Maybe they're afraid of just simply appearing ignorant before the Lord. We do that sometimes. Even the one hand will turn to the Lord and say, Lord, who am I but a foolish sinner? And then with my next breath I say, but I don't want you to see how dumb I really am. Um, so it may have been that. But what we do know is that at the very beginning of this, it's something that they don't understand, and this is why Jesus needs to take this time away from speaking to the world to speak to them. Because it's not easy to master. This is why we do Lent every year. Because it's not easy for us to master and to live. And there's always an element of it that we struggle with, that we're reluctant to embrace, that we simply don't get how it meets our lives. So what do we do? We allow the Lord to pull us aside. And we struggle over these weeks to learn to ask him those questions we might be afraid to ask. They get into the house, however, and Jesus is aware, because even though they're not asking, he knows there's something going on. And he gets into the house and he says, look, you were arguing, you were fighting about something along the way. What was it? And notice how we don't know that until he says it. St. Mark never says they fought on the way until Jesus says, oh, there was something going on. And so again, consider this. Maybe they were arguing with one another on the way. Or maybe... As Jesus is giving them this difficult teaching, silently, in their hearts, as they were following him, they were wondering, which one of us is the most important? I would really like to have that job. Maybe in their hearts, they were arguing with one another in that sense that we often do. We personally compete inside ourselves with everyone around us, wanting to be a little bit better, wanting to rise a little high. We never say anything. But you can see it sometimes in communities where there are these rivalries. No one ever mentions them, but they're there. And there can be real contests of wills. We see it in our homes. There can be these struggles for control in the household that no one ever names, but it goes on. And it expresses itself sometimes in small and petty ways, sometimes with harsh and angry words, 
sometimes with awkward, painful silences, sometimes simply with looks. On the one hand, no, we're not fighting. But on the other hand, oh, yes, we are. Our hearts are fundamentally opposed to one another in some way. We have set ourselves against one another in some way. This might be why St. Mark doesn't lead with, and they were arguing on the way. Because they might have been silent on the way. But with that silence that says, oh, I am so going to get ahead of you. I am so going to show you. If I do this, he'll look bad, I'll look good. Um, Because the heart is clever at that. And the Lord who knows the human heart doesn't need them to tell him because he understands what goes on inside of us. And he knows that it's this disposition, which one of us is the greatest, that stops us from understanding the word of the cross. Because how do I get ahead doesn't understand how do I set myself aside. How do I advance myself doesn't understand how do I get out of the way. I'd rather get my way than get out of the way. And so here is where now the Lord takes the child, places the child in their midst. And notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say what we expect from other scripture passages, become like the child. He says that elsewhere. He says, consider how you receive the child. Why would he say that? Because the attitude in the hearts of the disciples, when we ask which of us is the most important, which of us is the greatest, we are looking to receive and be received by those who can give us honor, those who can elevate our status. The child can't do any of those things. To receive the child is not to receive someone who can advance you or someone who can care for you. It is to receive someone for whom you must care. Note the difference. Receive the one who calls something good out of you. Not who's going to put some worldly good on top of you that's not going to last. Receive the one that you have to protect rather than worrying about protecting your own reputation and your own status. And receive this one in my name because I come to be like him in a certain way. And so he says, whoever wants to be first, put yourself last. Those of you who have raised children, full disclosure, I have not. I know you're all surprised. (laughs) You know the truth of that. How much of a parent's life involves setting something of yourself aside for that one that you're receiving into the world, for that one that you have to raise? Notice that real love doesn't begin with what I get. It begins with how I give. And this is the spirit into which the Lord is calling his church. 
This is that spirit into which the Lord is challenging his disciples, every one of them, to enter. Something that on the one hand they know, but something that becomes more perfect when they do it in union with him. It is the mother's love and the father's love, but made perfect, made pure, made more expansive. It is the ability to care, sharpened. And the Lord says, have that ambition. Have the ambition to care greatly, the ambition to love greatly, the ambition to surrender greatly, because that's where greatness is found. And that's the meaning of that mysterious statement that the crucible of humiliation is where we're proven. When you learn that you will really discover yourself in making yourself less in the eyes of the world because you're so much more available for those who need you, oh, then real greatness will be there. So whoever would be first, the Lord says, has to be the last. And what do we see on the cross? Oh, he's as good as his word. Even better, in fact. Making himself last, least, and lowliest for every single one of us. Because in the end, who are we really? We're all that little child that he's received in the name of his mercy. And so the Lord says, learn to receive others like this. Do it with me. Do it like me. And the question of who is greatest won't even matter because there will be an intrinsic greatness about you that won't be yours. It'll be mine. And yet you'll have it. And in just a few minutes, that's exactly what's going to happen here. We're going to come forward and we're going to stretch out our hands and we're going to receive him who once again makes himself small that we might become large. He who makes himself poor, that we might become rich. And we who will begin the way of fasting tomorrow, extend our hands to feast on his mercy today. And that indeed is a wonderful thing. Amen.